You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. What's up, church? Good morning. All right, so it's been, it's been a crazy morning. Uh, y'all, if you were here last Sunday in this service, you know, uh, we had some technical difficulties um, toward the end of our service, lights wigging out and that kind of stuff. The devil literally is in technology. The Antichrist will come in the form of an iPhone. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, that's what's going to happen. Um, or an Android, more likely an Android. Um, but uh, this morning, it's crazy, man. We were, we were in the middle of, of worshiping, and we were doing that song. Whoo! Somebody just give God some praise for that song and our team that leads us to worship. And apparently the whole town of Randleman like had a power surge and like everything just went crazy. And in two weeks, like, you know, the devil's been trying to mess with our worship gatherings. So we're just going to speak him right out of this room today. Okay. Y'all with me? In the name of Jesus, shout him out. Shout him out, church. We're going to shout him out. Yeah. Um, amen. Because uh, guys, God's doing amazing things in our church, and if maybe today's your first Sunday, or maybe you haven't been around very long, or maybe um, you're still kind of checking us out, and you're coming in on Sunday mornings and not getting to see all that God is doing, God is working in this church like I've never seen him work before. Um, celebrate it, man. Will you celebrate it with me? Uh, it's just been so good. Every, I mean, from top to bottom, I mean, we've been having some just amazing services in this room, and lives have been changed, and God's been working, and, and you know, uh, we've just been doing some awesome work taking territory for God, but it's not just happening in this room. Like, we're hearing stories of, of what God is doing among our life groups that are meeting throughout the week, and if, if you're not in one of those, uh, uh, stop by the Next Steps area on your way out and, and learn more about how to get one in, in one of those. If you've been trying to get in one and struggling, keep working. Help us come al- or let us come alongside you to keep figuring a way out because you need community, you need support, you need prayer, you need encouragement, you need people. Amen, somebody. Like, you can't do this thing alone. You need people. Um, and our kids' ministry, can you just give some love to our kids' ministry team? I had the privilege of hanging out um, with the preschoolers a couple weeks ago when uh, Casey preached and uh, just had a blast hanging out with those guys. And what is happening, they're not babysitting your children right now. They are teaching your kids very important things. They are laying a foundation of faith in your child's life that's going to make a difference as they move forward. So you celebrate them one more time. Would you please just do that? Awesome. I got to hang out uh, in second service with the, with when they did the kids' worship, and Caitlin Johnson, who is just an amazing, one of our amazing volunteers, leading those kids in worship, teaching them how to worship. They, um, they're going to be a lot rowdier than y'all when they make it into this room, and I'm going to have a lot more fun preaching to them than I do to y'all. So I'm just going to be real today, Brett, okay? I'm just going to get real. They're going to be fun to preach to in a few years, I'm telling you. Um, and our student ministry is in an awesome season. They've been uh, meeting at Victory Mountain Camp. I've had a chance to kind of pop in there a couple of times in their meeting, and more kids and new kids are coming, and we had some get baptized. So we even celebrate, we celebrate that, our, 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 our kids, our vintage kids, our vintage students. God's doing so much. But you need to know this, like, the devil ain't happy. But we don't care. Um, and, we, and my thing is, like, if... Let me teach you a little something about your life. If you feel like the devil is messing with you, that's a good thing. Because he don't mess with people he's already got. If you're no threat to him, he ain't messing with you. So if you right now, you're thinking, man, I feel like attacked on every side because you are ticking him off. 
and that's a good thing. Because you know what? When, you're, when you start to take territory for the Lord, if God has you and your heart is committed to him, what he wants you to do is make sure that the, the devil doesn't want God to use you to reach others. So he'll put all these things in your lives to distract you and to dilute you and to get you discouraged. So you'll just kind of stay internal with your faith and not be external with your faith so that other people come to know him and we continue just to take territory for God. And right now, man, God's just working in our church and some things are unfolding right now that we think are going to happen over the next few months. And God, we're about to have, go into the greatest season of ministry in the history of our church. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. I'm going to clap for the people who didn't clap over here. Okay, there we go. There we go. I believe it. Because today, we, even today, we begin a new series. And, you know, we, we, we try to teach the full compass of Scripture. Uh, we have a responsibility that from this platform, you get the entirety of the Word of God over, over, over the year. And so, like, like, I love to come up here and teach messages that, that I know kind of will immediately, like, help you. Like stuff like we just finished an awesome marriage series and man, continue to pray for marriages. We've had a lot of people come forward and, and are starting to receive help and having some really hard conversations. But God is, God is moving and working. And I, but I love to teach, you know, s- series or, or, or a topic that kind of really kind of helps you kind of right where you are, fixing some things in your life and, and, and get into the word of God. But can I, the next four weeks aren't going to be about you. I ain't coming back. But, I mean, like the next four weeks are not about you. And, and if you need to be a part of a church that's all about you, this probably ain't it. Say amen if you know that church ain't all about you. Church is not just about what you can get from it, but what you can give to it, what you can learn in it. Because the next four weeks, we're going to be in a series that's going to challenge us to, to go, to move, to mobilize as a church. And take territory for the kingdom. I want to challenge the way you see the world around you. I want to challenge the way that you see your own faith. And realize the responsibility and call that you have to reach the world. The call that God has put on every life of anyone that has claimed to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. To shift the way that you see your faith. You've heard me say a lot of times, you know, when, when I was growing up, I, I, a lot of us grew up under the gospel of me, right? The, that, that basically, what, what the goal of your faith was just to get you fixed. And some of us have been on a long journey with that, amen, come on. But like, it's about you, it's about your sin, it's about your checklist, it's about like, like you. But I'm going to say like your faith, like if there, there's one huge element of our faith that if it's lacking in us as individuals or us as a church, then we're failing to be the church. That God has called us to reach the world. That we are God's ordained vehicle to take the message of Jesus to every part of our community. Like, if, if, the, if the church gets stuck in only what happens in this room or when you're with your life group or when perhaps we've scheduled some type of event, if, that's, if, if the church gets contained to just those things, we are not the church. 
Like that God has called us to take the message of the gospel to the world. And so today, and I'm going to go and tell you, like, I yelled a lot in first service. So if I get to yelling too much, y'all tell me to calm down. Because I, I, I preached so hard this morning, I, I thought I was going to pass out. So if I pass out, somebody just jump up here and keep preaching. Just my notes are right here. And just keep going. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to pick up with verse 27. You can pull it up uh, in your Bibles, on your phones, uh, in your app. I just remind you, too, like if you don't have a physical copy of the Word of God, we have Bibles we want to put in your hands. They are completely free. They don't cost anything. Just stop by um, out in the lobby, and we'll get you one of those. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And what this what we're going to see in this passage is going to be a jumping-off point for us for the next four weeks. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. If you're there, you're ready to go, say amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. It says, As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, I just happened to read this passage, and I think, um, like, two blind men following Jesus. Can you imagine, like, Jesus? See, there's some people thought that was funny. Some people thought that's inappropriate. <laughs> Welcome to Venice Church. Uh, I just, I'm sorry. When I read scripture, it just literally comes to my brain, okay? It says there's two blind men following Jesus, and they're yelling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. In verse 28, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he, Jesus, he asked them a question. He says, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Isn't that a powerful question? Like here these guys are coming to Jesus and they're crying out for him to do something that they desperately need. And Jesus responds with a question. Like, do you believe I'm capable of giving you what you're praying for? Anybody else that hit really right in the face right now? Like, do you really believe what you're praying for? Like maybe God's asked you that question. There's something like that you've been praying for. There's something that like, God, I, I need this to work out, Lord. I need this situation to be resolved. I need this relationship to be restored. I need this door to open. I need this thing to be fixed. I, and, and these guys have been blind their whole lives. They've, they've been praying this for probably years. And some of us have been in that situation, right, where you're asking God, God, fix it, God, fix it, God, situate it, God, re- work it out. Can it possibly be that God's looking at you like, do you believe I can do it? Can I be really honest? I think I've prayed a lot of prayers that I prayed because I follow Jesus and I believe in him and I think I'm supposed to do that, but I'm not sure I believed in my heart that God could do it. And maybe that's what's limiting what he really wants to do in my life altogether. He says, do you even believe it? I mean, you're, you're, you're mindlessly praying these things because it's just kind of this go to reaction if you grew up in church or if you grew up in faith or if you had any kind of connection with Jesus. And maybe Jesus is saying, you know what, that thing you're, that was standing between prayer and answer is belief. And your willingness to believe could bridge that gap. He says, do you even believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. Now that's a, that's a hard ask, isn't it? Like y'all been blind for the rest of your, for your whole life. Now you can see, don't tell anybody. They're like, we can see. First of all, did you see us bumping into stuff when we came in? That ain't going to be happening anymore because we, we can see. This changed our lives. And, of course, verse 31, but they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. 
Like they couldn't help. Man, when God's doing something in your life and you know it's from God, you can't contain it. You can't contain it. When God is moving in your life and you know it's from God and you know God is moving and you know, like, it's nothing I could have ever done. It's only explainable by the realness. Is that a word? Realness of God in your life. And when God is really doing something in your life, that's not something you can put a lid on, is it? Come on. That's something you have, like you got to tell people. And it was the case with them. Like God was doing something, had done something certainly enough. They had to tell people. Verse 33. And when the, uh, and when, no, excuse me, verse 32. While they were going out, a man was demon possessed. A man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Can I tell you that I'm praying that God would do something in our church where people will say, nothing like this has ever been seen in Randolph County. Like there's something happening among that group of people that's so of God, we've never seen it before. Something only explainable by God. They can't say it's because of the music or this or that. They can't explain it. It's like there's something happened at Vintage Church and we have never seen it before and we can only explain it that God is doing something in that place. Don't you want something like that for our church? for your life, something only explainable by God, this only could be him. Like, it's the only explanation because you ain't good looking enough, you ain't smart enough, you ain't got enough money. Like, God is only God. Some only God kind of moments. Sorry, I, I'm, 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 I'm preaching a little bit in a minute. Okay, here we go. Verse 34 says, But the Pharisees said, It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So all these cool things are happening and the Pharisees, who for all intents and purposes were like the church folk of Jesus' day. They're looking for a reason to downplay it. To make it seem like it's not a big deal and it's not of God. He said, by the prince of demons, that he drives out demons. And then look at verse 35, and this is where I want us to kind of dig in. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Says Jesus went into all these towns and villages and he went into all these crowds. Like as he moved about during his time on this earth, he began to see things that broke his heart. He began to see people who were desperately in need, who were hurting, who were lacking, who didn't really know what it meant to have hope and joy and peace and all the things that only God can give. And it says that what he saw so moved on him that he had compassion on them. And he said, these people, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're helpless. And then he said, verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, Jesus came to this earth, and now he could have just chilled out for a few years until time to die. But it says Jesus went, like he stepped out of heaven into earth 
And he didn't stay stationary. He didn't go camp out with the, relig- with the religious people. He didn't go to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the people that would have known all there was to know about God. They would have spent their entire life studying the word of God. They would have been the ones that were equipped better than anybody to tell the people what God wanted, what he expected, what he needed, and how to get to him. But they decided to huddle up in their nice, comfortable little cages. And Jesus did the exact opposite. He didn't stay where they were. He didn't find himself secluded and confined to that space. He went into the crowd. Some of y'all are like, what's he doing? (laughs) He went into the crowd. And what he saw broke his heart. Because as he moved about in that crowd, he saw people in all different places of life that desperately needed what he had. And he saw a generation who had all the tools and knowledge and know-how to take that message to them, and they had kept it to themselves. So he's moving around, and, and I don't know, maybe he thought, you know what, maybe, maybe these people think that there's not really a mission field out here. Maybe these people think that like these people don't want to hear this message. Maybe these people just think that, that you know what, it's pointless to go out there because everybody's going to get mad, turn away, and not have anything to do with them anyway. But what Jesus found was not that the mission field didn't exist, not even that people weren't receptive to what Jesus had to say. He says the, the, the harvest is plentiful. Like people out there, they want what I have. Like, like they, they know that something's missing. They know they need something that they don't have. The problem is there's nobody willing to go out into the harvest field and take that mes- the message to where they are so that they can actually find the hope they need. And he looks at the religious people and he sees this generation that had all the opportunity and all the potential and everything they needed to bring them to God. And he looks at them like, what have y'all been doing? And he doesn't look at them, the people that were, should have been equipped to make a difference. His eyes turn from the Pharisees to this group called the disciples. You notice it doesn't say he turns to the Pharisees and says, y'all dummies, y'all never did figure this out. I think he probably wanted to say it. I'd have wanted to say it. He says, you know what? I'm not even going to waste my time trying to get y'all to do it anymore because you've proven you're not going to. But you guys that have been following me, who've watched me, who I've poured into, I want you to look at the field. It's ripe. The harvest is plentiful. It just needs workers. So you know what? All you people that somewhere along the way got stuck in your cages of stained glass and pews and whatever and decided to just huddle up there and wait for God to come back, If I can't count on you, I'm going to count on them. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, gentlemen, but the workers are few. Pray that God will send workers into the harvest field. It's amazing that it's been 2,000 years later, and I wonder, I wonder, what if Jesus stepped back into Randolph County and he began to walk through the crowds? Anybody else feel like maybe he'd see something very similar? Anybody else feel like he would see people that are helpless and harassed? People that are like sheep without a shepherd. And maybe his heart would break. And I don't want to be caught saying, well, 
I'm going to give it to the next generation because y'all don't seem to want to do it. Did you hear what Jasmine said in that video? See, I think maybe, maybe we get to the point sometime as a church that we feel like maybe the harvest field isn't there for the taking. That whether it be because, you know what, we look around us and, yeah, we live in Randolph County. We live in North Carolina. We live in the Bible Belt. Everybody knows you. You can stand in the parking lot of one church and throw a stone into the next one. 230 churches, and they, and they all, they probably was 100 churches, and people got mad, moved, and started another church. And you know what? A lot of those people that are in those churches, they ain't people that didn't know Jesus and then found those churches. Those people just got mad and left that church, went to another church. It's transfer growth, as in, I'm going to transfer my car to that parking lot. Can I just say, I don't want to ever be that church. Because there's enough people in our community who don't know Jesus to fill every one of those empty seats. We don't need to bring them from other churches. It says the harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Did you hear that almost like 65, 70% of our community doesn't claim any connection or relationship with Jesus? Some of y'all are thinking, that's hard to believe. See, the, the enemy has tried to convince you that most people know Jesus. The enemy has tried to convince you that that coworker, because maybe one time they referenced God, that they're not in need. Because, see, as long as we deny that the harvest is ripe, we'll continue to fail to go out and work it. And I think God's looking at us and saying, the harvest field is plentiful. But the workers are few. Church, do you realize, I did this this week. I took, found a tool online that if you draw a 15-mile circle and put the center dot right over Randleman, do you know how many people would fit inside that circle? Like if you took a 15-mile circle and put the center dot right over Randleman, the inside that circle, you know how many people live inside that circle? You'll never be able to guess because it'll blow your mind. 280,000 people. Now, I'm not a math major, but 65% of 280,000 equals a lot. (laughs) More room than we could ever have in any church that exists in this county right now. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be satisfied, and we can't settle until we've done everything we can to make sure every single one of those people knows Jesus. If you want to clap, clap. Don't like kind of clap. I mean, let's, let's clap all the way. And before you kind of get it twisted, it's not about being able to count the number of heads in this room. I just want to make sure that heaven is as full as it possibly can be because Vintage Church was here. And to do that, we got to respond to his call. So let's just kind of break down what just happened here in this passage. It says that he went. He went. It says Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. It says Jesus, he what? He, he went. He went. See, Jesus, he approached where the religious avoided. He approached where the religious avoided. He went. He allowed himself to go into the places. He approached places that the religious people avoided. He was willing to go. You know what? 
Amazing things can happen when a church is willing to go. You know what I mean? The coolest things that will ever happen in our church will begin with, they went. They went to that place. They went to that home. They went to that ministry. They went to that neighborhood. They went to that place. Like, if we are willing to go, we've always said we would be a movement of God. We didn't want to be just a church. We'd be a movement of God. You can't be a movement if there is no movement. That means when you leave here, you got to move out into the harvest fields that God has strategically placed in your life. That means you got to move. That means there's times when you got to speak when it's easier to be silent. That means there's going to be times that you got to engage when it's easier to withdraw. And let me tell you something. I'm convinced there's no way you can do church right and it not be messy. Did you see what Jesus just endured? Did you notice what happened in the story? They brought to him a demon-possessed dude. If next Sunday I called up a demon-possessed guy to heal him right here, half y'all would never step foot in this building again. You'd be so freaked out. Tell me I'm lying. Maybe I've noticed, man, when you, when, when you do ministry the way Jesus did ministry, that means you're going to have to go into places and you're going to have to approach people that, you know what, their mess may make your life a little bit messy for a short time as well. See, he, he, the religious people wanted to sit up in their nice, comfortable synagogues. And Jesus says to the guys with dirt under their nails and the hint of fish because they were fishermen, hey, I need you to do it. I need you to do it. I need you to do it, teacher. I need you to do it, CEO. I need you to do it, accountant. I need you to do it, fireman. I need you to do it, whatever your position is. Like the mission field is right where you are in every single place that you step your foot. Jesus went. He had the courage to go. And you know what? If we're going to change the world, if we're going to be able to handle the harvest we've been handed, we have to go. And it's so easy just to get settled right here in this room. I, I don't think church is, is a come and see or a go and do. I think it's both. Come on. I think it's both. I think it is a come and see. Come and taste that the Lord is good. Come to church with me. Come experience worship. Come hear the word. I think there's something special when you have the courage to look somebody in your, in your circle of influence and say, hey, come to church with me. God is doing amazing things. I'll meet you in the parking lot. I'll walk you into the door. I'll sit beside you. I'll, I'll put an umbrella up when the preacher starts spitting on you. I'll, I'll do all those things that ne are necessary for you to come and experience that because I believe if I can get you in the same room that I sit in every Sunday, that God will speak to your life and something significant could happen. But I also believe there's going to be people that you're going to change their lives because God uses your influence and they never, never sit in this room. They're going to sit in another room. And more importantly, they're going to have residence in heaven because you have the courage to engage them with the gospel. To tell them about the hope that you have in him. If you'll just be willing to go. And that's why as a church, man, we're, we're not always, always about come to us, come to us, come to us. Like, we got to have the courage to go. And I just say that's one reason, you know, we had a lot of questions this year um, about trunk or treat. Because we used to do the best trunk or treat in all the northern hemisphere. <laughs> it's proven. I mean, it was awesome. 
If you never were here during Trunk or Treat, it was amazing. It was so amazing. Like the last year we did it, we had over 5,000 people come out. And it was just crazy. But you know what? For one thing, like last year we had, people were fighting in line, welcoming random men. I mean, it was crazy. People were cussing us out because, like, they only got 100 pieces of candy. Go home, drink a Mountain Dew, get over it. I don't know. We used to have to start turning cars away because, like, people were still trying to get in at, like, at, like 30 minutes after we were supposed to shut down. And it just got out of control. But you know what? That event cost us almost around $10,000. And what we found is because there were so many people, we were having to rush people through. And we weren't really able to engage people and have conversations. And all we were doing was, was just basically contributing to the dentist office of our county and not really anything else, sugaring these kids up. And so you know what we decided to do, like, we were just going to invest in those resources in a different way, that we were going to ramp up our Thanksgiving meal ministry because it allows us to actually walk into the homes of people in our community that are overlooked, abandoned, and in need. And instead of just pushing them through a line to get candy, we can actually step into their home, look in their eyes, tell them we love them, and have an opportunity to speak hope into their lives. And there's nothing wrong with trunk or treat. But number one, we're never going to, every other church does it. We're never going to be the church that does every other thing every church does. That's just not us. We're going to do what God calls us to do. And when we're, and when we're limited in resources and time and energy and people, we've got to make sure it counts the most in the places that matter most. So we're going to go. We've had people say, well, when you get a building, are you going to start serving a Thanksgiving meal and have people come to you? No. No. Because we're not going to ask them to come to us when we have the opportunity to go to them. And if they come to us after, awesome. If they don't, we had our chance to love on them and do something powerful in their lives. Why? Because Jesus went. And if we're going to work the harvest, we're going to have to went too. So Jesus went. And then it says, he saw. He saw. It says, when he saw the crowds. See, he noticed who the religious neglected. It says he saw them. And you know, there's a difference. I hope y'all follow me. There's a difference between seeing people and seeing people. Amen? There's a difference between seeing people and seeing people. The religious people had saw them, but they didn't see them. Jesus saw them, and he saw them. He saw them for the people that they are. The religious people just didn't notice they just kept moving along. They neglected these people. You know why? Because they were less than. Jesus saw, every time Jesus saw a person, he saw a life that mattered to God. Do you realize that? Every person on this planet matters to God. Even the ones that annoy the mess out of you. They matter to God. Even the ones that do things that you don't agree with. They matter to God. Even the ones who do really dumb things in the name of God still matter to God, and that's somebody that Jesus died for. And that should matter to us, church. And that should impact the way that we think and the way that we see other people. Come on. And whether we want to admit it or not, there's things in our lives that are keeping us from being able to see people. It may be a prejudice that exists in your mind that's there, but you refuse to even acknowledge that it exists. It may be you're just so stinking busy, you're in too big of a hurry to see 
or you're so fixated on you and your stuff and what you've got going on that you can't get your eyes off you long enough to see them. So they saw the crowds. You will never meet a need that you refuse to see. Never. You know what? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to, I want you to wrestle with what I've been wrestling with. You ever thought about, God, how many needs, how many opportunities did I miss out on this week because I just wasn't in a place to see them? There's many of us, we're living at a pace that's killing our purpose. And there are things and people that God wants you to do and you're not doing it because you just can't see it. What if you just pray, God, help me to see it. Help me to see them. Help me to, not to see that person in Walmart as just somebody who's standing in the way of me getting out of this crazy God-forsaken place. And it's amazing how angry we can get. There's some of us this week, any road ragers in the room? That's funny. I get a text about once a month. What are you teaching there at that church? Somebody with a vintage sticker just ran me off the road. I'm like, did they shoot you the bird? Because I don't know if they go to our church or not. I don't know. It's probably one of our staff. I don't know. Maybe. But isn't it, come on, isn't it crazy how angry we can get at people just for making us a few minutes late? We don't see a person that matters to God. We see a per- person that's in the way. And we live so much of our lives in that space. And God's like, you can't see it. You can't see it. Jesus went and he saw and he had. It says he had. It says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was interested when the religious were indifferent. See, the problem with the religious people is, can I, can I just tell you my assessment of what I'm in Scripture? They didn't care. They just... Didn't care. I think they were just, it's not that they hated the poor people. It's not that they hated the, the overlooked. It's not that it's, they just were indifferent. They just didn't care. And I think we can get such in, in this place where we just get in this mode where it's not that we, that we hate or we don't or we have, it's just we're indifferent. We just don't care because I'm convinced that we give time, energy, resources, and attention to the things that we care about. So maybe, just maybe, can I? This is going to be harsh, okay? Y'all with me? Say amen. You ready? You don't still love me? Let me be your pastor when I'm done. Maybe we're not sharing our faith with the people around us because ultimately we really don't care. Because I would submit to you if we really did, if we cared the way Jesus has called us to care, we couldn't keep silent. We couldn't ignore them. Come on. If we had what, if we felt what Jesus felt. See, Jesus not only, he didn't just go. He didn't just, he, he said he had compassion. Did you see that word? That's a word that we throw around. But when you understand the deep, that word in Greek, the Greek language that's used there is actually, it really, it means he, it physically hurt him what he saw. It's actually like the Greek word is, is a guttural pain. You ever had the breath knocked out of you? 
Like, you know what I'm saying? You ever just caught one right in the gut? Right? Right? Josh, come here. Let me show him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would never do that. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all have had that feeling where you're like, uh, uh, like, you're like when you just catch one, you're like, you're not paying attention. One's hit you right in the belly. Kickball, dodgeball back in the day, something like that happened. Boom. And that's the kind of pain that this word represents. That like Jesus, what he saw physically moved him. And maybe what it's going to take to move the church is for a burden to be born in our hearts for people who don't know Jesus. And maybe only until we get to that point where we're broken for, with the reality that people that you encounter every single day are potentially going to die and go to hell. Only when that reality breaks your heart will we ever do anything different. When's the last time you even looked at a person and wondered, this is going to seem really weird morbid, where will they go when they die? We do it for the family we do it for loved ones. We do it for our kids, right? But for God so loved the world. I would convince if we're going to follow Jesus, that same desperation that you have for the people that you love in your circle of influence is the same pain that he wants you to have for every person that you encounter. And when he does, you'll reach out. We'll change the world. And heaven really will have more resonance because we existed. He went. He went. He saw. He had. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, disciples. But the workers, it's a manpower issue. It's, it's not... It's not that they don't want it. It's not that they're not ready. It's not. He said the harvest is ready. The harvest is plentiful. Like there's pr plenty of fruit to be picked. He said to them, let's work. Let's get to work because they're ready. Get to work. See, Jesus knew his time on earth was about to be up. He was about to leave. And he was going to have to entrust this mission to these ragtag group of guys to keep it going, to keep hope moving forward in this world. See, Jesus said that to them because he, he championed what the religious criticized. See, every time the disciples got caught hanging out with people that weren't quite up to their par, up to speed, you know, every time they were with the, the, the people in society that maybe that the religious people didn't think they should be around, they always criticized Jesus for it. And Jesus championed it when they went into the places that needed him most. And he was calling a generation to work the harvest they had been handed. And church, I believe that despite whatever you're seeing, whatever you're watching on TV, no matter what's happening in our world, that the harvest is as ripe for the picking as it's ever been in our culture. That people are desperately wanting something to give them hope and purpose and fulfillment. Like they desperately are needing and wanting Jesus. They just don't even know it. And the only way they're ever going to find it is if you and me and the rest of us have the courage to every Sunday when we walk out of this building, understand we step into a harvest field that God has specifically ordained and given to us. And it's ripe. And it's ready. If we'll just go, and if we'll see, and if we'll have, like Jesus we will change the world. You ready? You ready to work it? You ready to work the harvest?
called work for a reason. It ain't going to be easy. It's not going to always be fun. But it's what he's called us to. Just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. This is a moment we're going to worship. And as we worship, I'm going to leave you seated. But as that song begins to stir in your spirit, I want you to respond to God's call to work by standing up as he puts it on your heart. If you're saying, you know what, by standing up, you're going to say, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to work my harvest field. I'm going to go. I'm going to see. I'm going to have all that Jesus had so that I can take his message, his hope, his life, his love into the world that's around me. And I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to work and work and work until everybody that's in my circle of influence comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that as we worship you now, that people would have the courage to respond to the call that you're putting on their lives and to work the harvest they've been handed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.